If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code twelve twelve and get forty dollars off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code twelve twelve. Sleepcoolnow.com, 12-12. This is a special hour number three of the World According to Zig podcast for this November 5th, 2017. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of the show where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a true conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. reason why I'm doing a special hour number three is, well, there's really a couple of reasons. One, we've been on an unexpected hiatus for a couple of weeks, but also because there have been some very significant developments, not that you would ever hear from them in the news media, revolving uh, around a story that I have been covering for most of the past almost six years now, and that is the so-called Penn State scandal involving Jerry Sandusky, Joe Paterno, three Penn State administrators who were all uh, convicted of misdemeanors, two of which uh, have actually gone to jail one of whom is still appealing uh, their sentence and their conviction. That's uh, former president of Penn State, Graham Spanier, who I've gotten to know exceedingly well over the last uh, several years. And I I wanted to put all of these developments, at least those that I can discuss publicly, into uh, its own uh, podcast uh, because they they certainly warrant it. And uh, look, let me preface these comments by by saying <clears throat> I am exceedingly pessimistic in general about life, but I'm also exceedingly pessimistic about justice ever being done here. And I have wanted to give up on this thing uh, more times than you could possibly ever imagine. And, um, and who knows, I may still end up giving up uh, at some point in the near future, but there has been renewed hope, although not because of anything that's happened in the court system. In fact, uh, Sandusky just recently had his uh, his PCRA, his post-conviction relief application, rejected by the judge, who clearly never had any intention of granting it because he's a Pennsylvania judge who actually wants to go on living with his living his life and having a political future. So that's not any cause for optimism. I've always said that um, there'll never be any justice in this case in a Pennsylvania courtroom, but maybe in a federal courtroom, which will take years from now. But the reason why there's optimism is because there's been some movement on the media front, although you wouldn't know that publicly yet. Um, one of the areas of movement is that the Washington Post has, through a reporter by the name of Will Hobson, been investigating this case uh, for a very long time. And I'll, I'll give uh, Will 
some credit, although I am not optimistic about what he's going to end up reporting. I'll give some, him some credit because he ha- has done his due diligence and he has spoken to the right people. And he is at least uh, privy to a lot of the right information. I don't think he has the guts to tell anywhere near the real story here. Uh, um, I've been pretty harsh with him recently. I know this is going to be difficult for people who know me to believe, but, you know, once it's clear to me that that you're not going to have the guts to actually go all the way, uh, I have no respect for you, and, you know, I tend to, to give it to you pretty hard. And uh, I believe I've called him a coward uh, on the phone. Um, and I've, I've also been uh, pretty harsh with him in a couple of other ways. My, my general synopsis of what he's doing is he's doing an investigation of how Christmas toys get to children. And he, this is an analogy here. And, um, and he's decided that he's skeptical about whether or not reindeer can really fly and whether or not elves really make the toys. And he's probably going to do an article sometime in the next couple of weeks in the Washington Post about, you know, what we were told about these reindeer and these elves, it's, it feels kind of fishy, smells kind of fishy, and it may not be totally accurate. But we're not going to take a look at whether or not there's really a Santa Claus or not. <laughs> That we're, we're going to completely, you cannot touch Santa Claus because Santa Claus is too big to fail. And uh, we're, too many people are invested in his existence. So we're not even going to consider whether or not Santa Claus does not exist. That, that's really what the Washington Post, I think, is heading for. Which, in this environment, could actually be a, a victory. Because at least it's somewhat headed in the right direction. Because I believe now although I didn't always believe this, that the entire Penn State story and scandal, as it's been referred to a billion times in the news media, is a fraud. All of it. I began thinking that most of it was at least somewhat real, and just the parts about Joe Paterno and maybe the administrators were wrong. But no, I, I'm now 100% positive, 100% positive, that the whole thing uh, was a scam. So there's the Washington Post out there, a story out there that's that's going to come in the next few weeks. Uh, next week, uh, although I guess technically it's already available, there's a book being published by a respected author by the name of Mark Pendergrast, who's actually scheduled to be on our podcast next week. That should be an interesting interview because Mark and I uh, don't really like each other and don't really see eye to eye on everything, but we're on the same side of this particular issue because he is, his book Uh, called The Most Hated Man in America, is about the case, as he sees it, that Jerry Sandusky is innocent. Now, I I think his book is going to get ignored, and that's actually the best scenario for Mark, for for reasons that will become obvious probably at some later date. Um, But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm featured in the book. There's a chapter about me in the book, and there's a lot of good information in the book, and I urge people who care about the subject to read the book, Again, it's called The Most Hated Man in America, and apparently it's, it's already available in, in, some, uh, in some mediums. So um, that's coming out, in, like I said, in the next couple of weeks. There's also, by the way, a second book, which I didn't even know anything about until recently, that supposedly is scheduled for early next year by a criminologist. Uh, and so that book is supposedly coming out next year. And then there's another... Um, situation involving a major media outlet where I am directly involved. 
and I can't tell you very much more than that, but if what we're being told is true, sometime in the next month, and it could be shorter than that, uh, there will be by far the most significant major media outlet to give the what I believe to be the true version of the story a fair hearing. I know that's purposely vague, and I have to be vague, but trust me, if what we're being told is true, barring catastrophe, and unfortunately in this case, catastrophes are always right around the corner, barring catastrophes, this would be very big. But in the, by the by the the uh, the the standard of a normal case, it would blow the whole thing apart. In a nor in a normal case, it would be a no nuclear explosion that would blow the whole thing apart. I am well aware that this is not a normal case. That uh, th this case has been bomb proofed. There there everyone is too invested, much like Santa Claus, for anything to ever one. One bomb is never, ever, ever going to come close to blowing it all up. In a normal case, this would, because there would be, you know, there would be other repercussions. There would be other explosions. The, the reverberations would flow through the whole media, and everybody would get on board and go, wait a minute, did we screw this all up? No one's going to do that because they're all too damn invested. I'm well well, all too well aware of that. But because there is this, what appears to be very legitimate and very real possibility of a major media outlet providing the other side of the story in a significant way, I have basically jumped back in <laughs> to this, this very toxic water, which I've been trying to eliminate from my life for quite a while, because it's been horrible. I mean, it has been horrendous on my life and my marriage and my career. Every every aspect of my life, even my golf game, has uh, suffered because uh, of this particular story. But I have vowed to keep fighting until there's no other way to fight. And so, because so when there's hope, even if it's the slightest bit of hope, I'll keep fighting. And so in the course of, of trying to keep fighting, uh, some new things have come about, uh, one of which has I want to mention in this hour, which has nothing to do with my efforts. It just happens to do with, you know, e either good luck or bad luck, depending on how this all turns out. But I have to mention that if you follow this case at all, you need, and I mean need, to take a look at the allegations surrounding Kevin Spacey. Because the, the Kevin Spacey allegations could not more perfectly debunk the Penn State Sandusky story if they were written by John Ziegler. They couldn't. If, if you said, Zig, I want you to create a set of circumstances involving a celebrity that completely obliterate the premises of the Penn State Sandusky story, I don't think I could come up with something this good. Let me just give you a couple of the, the headlines. First of all, here, here, here are the similarities and the differences. So Spacey is accused of, by multiple 14-year-old boys of sexually assaulting them. By the way, uh, so far, weren't successful. And what I mean by successful, obviously, is from Spacey's perspective of resulting in ultimately some sort of major sex act. 
although it's pretty clear that, <laughs> that there, those stories exist. But that's exactly the age. In fact, that is the age of the boy that was in the infamous Mike McQuarrie episode, 14 years old. Almost all of Jerry's majors, major accusers, 14 years old. So the timing is exactly the same. Spacey, unlike Jerry Sandusky, is gay. In fact, he tried to use the gay card to get out of this whole thing when it broke over last weekend, and that turned out very poorly for him. But Jerry is married, no gay affairs, no signs of being gay, nothing. Spacey is not only gay, but he's an accomplished Academy Award-winning actor. <laughs> Jerry is a doofus. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry couldn't manipulate anybody if he tried. He tr- and, and trust me, I've spent six and a half hours in prison with the guy after he's been in solitary confinement. I, I have a pretty good sense of, of what he's about, and I've been spending way too much time figuring this all out over the last several years. But Spacey is a gifted actor at the highest level. And according to the stories, he was also using alcohol and pornography, neither of which any of the accusers, any of the accusers, all offs like that, they all decide that they're going to allow themselves to be sexually assaulted and anally raped in some cases by an old man And not only are they not going to tell anybody, (laughs) they're going to remain super close friends with him for years into adulthood. Even after they get married, they invite him to his wedding as a 24-year-old married Marine. That's the McQuarrie kid I'm referring to. Drive 10 and a half hours to attend the funeral of Jerry's mother. The Spacey stories are completely different. The Spacey stories are... I never wanted to see him again. I cut off all contact. And these are kids that end up being gay. <laughs> At least in, in one particular episode. Actually, two. Two of the, of the victims were gay and cut off all contact after these failed sexual assaults. And isn't it interesting, I find it interesting, that in none of the Sandusky stories do we have failed sexual assaults. <laughs> Spacey, this amazing actor using alcohol and pornography, apparently struck out quite a bit. Jerry, no, he never struck out. Why didn't he strike out? Well, because the stories are fake. And if you're going to tell the story, you don't tell a story where you almost got assaulted because that's not worth any money. If you're going to tell the story, you go all the way and you break the bank with several million dollars. So... Every aspect, including, by the way, the way everybody came out of the woodwork and everybody uh, abandoned uh, Spacey to the non-trained eye, seems similar to the Sandusky case. But even that's very different because people don't understand that before the Sandusky case blew up nationally in November 2011, locally... The existence of the grand jury was made public by a newspaper article by a now CNN reporter named Sarah Gannon, and that that caused no ripples. There was no collapse of Jerry's charity. There was no there was there was no people coming out of the woodwork with Matt, you know incredible numbers of dramatic and credible allegations. In fact, it was the opposite. The authorities were stunned. They didn't get anything. And there was no 
reaction from Penn State, like, oh my gosh, everybody always suspected this. This is the truth. It was an open secret. Now everyone knows, you know, we've, this is terrible. That's what's happening with Spacey. His agency dropped him. His publicist dropped him. Netflix dropped him without a, even a lawsuit, without even anyone doing a public uh, you know, television interview, without a criminal complaint. Jerry had a grand jury revealed. Grand jury! And it didn't cause any collapse at the time for, for six months. Why? Because it wasn't real. Spacey's stories are real, and everyone knows it, which is why his world is collapsing. So that's number one, but that has nothing to do with my efforts. That's just me being the only person that's pointing out the obvious. All right, so I went to Pennsylvania for reasons I can't fully divulge right now. But um, let's just say that um, I am now privy to a lot more documented information than I have ever been before. And I've always known, or not always, but for the last couple of years, I have known this case was a scam. Even I was shocked by what I have seen and what I now know and how obvious it is that this was all a money grab. And I wish I could tell you why I know this. I I can't. Hopefully, as I've already alluded to, this will become obvious fairly soon. And then I can get into all the details. But I can't right now. You're just going to have to trust me on that aspect. However, there are two things that I can tell you about, which in any other case would make people go, holy shit. The first is that... As part of this whole renewed effort to tell the real story, we found something. And boy, did we find something amazing that in any other case would immediately cause an absolute earthquake and probably a new trial for Jerry Sandusky. And, you know, the media would immediately go, oh, my gosh, we may have blown this whole thing. And I'm not underestimating this in a normal case. In this case, I'm sure people will come up with some bizarro world explanations or to tell you. But in the course of going through old stuff, we found, thanks to Jerry's wife, Dottie, a doctor's report from 2008. Now, 2008 is an important date because in 2008, Jerry is supposedly molesting two of his most important accusers on a almost daily basis. One is victim number one, Aaron Fisher. Number, the other is victim number nine, a guy by the name of Sebastian Payden. Uh, and, um, and he's doing so in very violent ways. I mean, this is like the worst of the allegations, especially in the case of Payton. Payton's the one who was supposedly screaming in the basement that he thought was soundproof, even though I've been in that basement. Matt Lauer's been in that basement. <laughs> There's, it's not sound. I have audio of, of a former NCIS agent to having a conversation with Dottie Sandusky, who's in the kitchen while he's in that basement bedroom, 
and they're not even talking loudly, and you can hear Dottie on his cell phone. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, 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 you might as well be in the kitchen. Anyway, the story is ridiculous, but here's why we now know it's ridiculous. So Jerry goes to the doctor in 2008 because he's having trouble falling, not having trouble falling asleep, he's having trouble staying awake. He's falling asleep constantly, including at the wheel, where he, he once ran into a mailbox because he was falling asleep at the wheel. So he goes to this doctor, and the doctor uh, evaluates him with three things. The three things, one of which I think has already been public, so I'll mention this, that he has almost no testosterone, almost none, and the numbers are in there. The second is that there is a distinguishing characteristic about Jerry's genitalia that basically make it impossible for him to, at the age of 64, forget about anally raping teenage boys, for him to even have gotten an erection. And even more importantly, maybe, than not being able to have an erection in 2008, and probably for a lot longer than that, because this was not a, a new development, um, this distinguishing characteristic is something, again, which will be made public hopefully very soon, this distinguishing characteristic is something that there is no chance, no chance that any teenage boy allegedly being forced to intimately deal with his genitalia, which is the allegation, most of this is giving him oral sex, there is no chance that any teenage boy if questioned about these sex acts, would not have mentioned. It is not possible. And it is, it is really not possible that nobody out of a group of 34 men who have been paid by Penn State University $100 million in this case, that nobody would have mentioned anything like this. And we have the records to prove that that never happened. No one has ever mentioned this distinguishing characteristic. And keep in mind, the Michael Jackson case was all about distinguishing characteristics of his penis. The Bill Clinton-Paula Jones case was all about distinguishing characteristics of his penis. Well, there is absolutely, positively, no way that this would go unmentioned. So on two fronts, it makes it impossible for him to have done these things, and two, it makes it impossible for no one to have mentioned it. And then there's a third aspect that goes all the way back to when Jerry first went through puberty and, and something called hypogonadism, which if you take, take a look at the, the symptoms of hypogonadism, they fit 100% with what really happened here fit 100% with Jerry Sandusky, and are 100% incompatible with the charges against him. And this was a lifelong condition. All of this in a report before Jerry Sandusky had any idea anybody was making an allegation against him. Now, you might be wondering, how the hell did this never come out? How the hell did this not 
get made mention of at trial? And it's a great question. And if you don't understand the players in this case, I can understand why you'd be perplexed and maybe even skeptical that, well, is this some sort of bullshit created document after the fact? Except here's what really happened. And if you know the players, it makes perfect sense. Jerry and Dottie are incredibly naive people. They are dinosaurs. They are from a completely different era of American life. They are both very religious people. I am convinced that neither one of them has ever had sex with anybody else other than the other. They got married at a young age, and that's the way you did it. You didn't have sex till you got married. You didn't have sex with anybody else outside of marriage. They've been married forever. And as Dottie told me when I asked her, Dottie, how could you not have ever mentioned this? She rather poignantly says to me, John, I've only ever been with one man. I didn't know there was anything different. And so what happens here is, and my basically having put the pieces together, so the crap hits the fan. Jerry gets arrested. He's everyone's in shock. He mentions the he knows that he'd been diagnosed with low testosterone because he went on testosterone therapy. So he thinks, well, this has got to be relevant, right? And he tells his attorney Joe Amendola about it. And Jerry says to his wife Dottie, Dottie, can you go get the medical records? Because he's under house arrest. And Dottie gets the medical record. But Dottie doesn't actually read the report because it's not until page two that you get into the details that, to me and others that are investigating this, go, holy crap, this could not have happened. So she never reads that part. And again, this is not her area of expertise because she doesn't have male genitalia. So she gives the report to the lawyer who's completely overwhelmed I mean, complete, this, this whole thing went from in seven months from, from being arrested to being convicted, which is in a case that this complex is just insane. It's unprecedented. And there's a media firestorm, and you know Joe had never done a case like this, and his, his co-counsel's currently, in, or at least recently, I don't know if he still is, is in prison and disbarred. He had no help. I mean, I'm sure Joe never even read the damn report. And if he wasn't told about the part in page two, he would never have found out about it himself. And Jerry's not going to mention it because Jerry is either embarrassed or doesn't even realize the significance of it himself. Because these are very puritanical people. So in this perfect storm of perfect storms, we've got another perfect storm where this bombshell never gets detonated because no one got it to the right person at the right time. So I'm now convinced, and this has always been my theory on Jerry Sandusky. I said this the moment after I interviewed him. I think he's asexual. I don't think he's a remotely sexual person because I've been around football coaches a lot. Football coaches are hypersexed people. Jerry Sandusky is not. And everyone I've ever spoken to him about says the same thing. He never makes any sexual references, jokes, never says, oh, wow, look at that girl or whatever. No, I mean, and of course, that's always been 
misinterpreted in light of these allegations. Oh, that's he, he wasn't into that because he was into boys. Well, no, there's no evidence of it. You're, you're using that in hindsight to justify what you already think you believe or you think you know. These medical conditions are completely consistent with a guy who effectively, I, mean, I don't want to say he's not a man, he is a man, he is genetically a man, but he doesn't have the same impulses, which is why he could be showering with 14-year-old boys and not even think there's anything weird about it. He was almost literally in, a, in an arrested state of development. So that's one aspect of this. Another aspect of this is that I have been hearing for a long time rumors of men who got money from Penn State, Jerry Sandusky accusers, telling people that they made it up. And I've always believed this is the case, but I've never been able to nail it down. Because, let's face it, these guys are all rich now. Nobody wants to piss off a rich person. Especially in the areas in which these guys live, in central Pennsylvania, where these are all poor meth users. All right? So, the reality is nobody wants to piss off any of these people. And I've had numerous people come forward and want to tell partial stories and then get scared or tell full stories and get scared. I mean, it's, you know, I've gotten a Ph.D. in dealing with white trash on this story. And it's an interesting phenomenon that people, they'll want to tell their story to get their conscience clear. But then when it comes time to actually doing something about it, they get afraid because then they're actually going to be vulnerable to some sort of repercussion. Well, I now know the names of all the people who got money from Penn State. And this is important because now we're dealing with a very different universe of potential friends or relatives or uh, fiancés or ex-wives or wives, girlfriends, what have you. So now... Instead of just dealing with the trial accusers who have always been publicly known because they're a matter of public record, now we have 34 people. And recently, and I don't even know why this happened, but it oftentimes happens randomly. I made a post about the case and someone contacted me. Her name was Tennille, or is Tennille. And Tennille wanted to tell me that her ex fiance, her, the father of her son, was a Jerry Sandusky accuser, but that he had lied to Penn State to get his money. And I spoke to this woman at great length, and there were two things that I knew from my information that I have that validated her story. One is the name of her former fiancé and the father of her son. Josh Culver is his name. I knew that to be accurate. And as you're going to hear in a moment, I also knew exactly how much money Josh Culver got, which was $5 million. And so after speaking with Tennille, Tennille's last name is Jones, Tennille Jones, 
I found this woman to be very credible because she had information that was not publicly known, the name and the amount. No one knows that. And as you can judge for yourself, her story makes total sense, is consistent with everything else that I've heard about this case, and is very credible in and of itself because it remains consistent. And you can tell from the way she's telling the story that she really doesn't want to tell the story, but that she feels like she has to. And did he ever tell you that he got paid by Penn State, or did you just figure it out? He asked me to marry him probably like a week or two after we got together because we have been together before, so, you know, it wasn't a, you know, we knew each other and whatnot, but he asked me like two or three weeks in the meeting back up with each other to get married, and he told me that he got a check from Penn State, he says, I know I got a copy in here somewhere, and he says... I stayed up for three days practicing this story to tell them, and he didn't have the check with them, but he said, when we first got together, he told me that his pap worked for H&R Block, and he passed away, and that's how he got his money. That's what I thought at first, because we bought a house together and everything, so that's what I thought. And then towards the end when we broke up, his sister told me, no, he, he definitely, you know, was touched by Sandusky. He used to pick him up all the time. And I'm like, well, why is she telling me this now after the whole time we were together and we have a son together? Like, why is she telling me it's at stake now? I didn't understand. So that made me believe that it's all fake, that she's just telling me that just to make it seem... You know, I had a story to say. I don't know. Who told you this? Was it him or somebody else? No, his sister Kylie told me, oh, Sandusky used to pick pick him up for my mom's house and all this stuff. But his mother has passed away, so she really can't say anything. Okay. But she didn't tell me this until we were almost broken up. Okay, so I just want to make sure I understand the timeline. So you guys get get back together sometime in, like, 2014. Mm-hmm. He's got money all of a sudden. Yeah. It, you at first think it's because, and he tells you that it's because uh, somebody died and left him money. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So his pat passed away, and he was, like, some co-owner of H&R Block. When he was in California, he bought a house. Like, mm. he had money out there in California. He paid okay. for pet rooms, like, all that, like, with spend, like, $10,000 on pet rooms. Okay. And he came home. Okay. So, and then, I, I, I want to make sure I understand. Was the first time you realized that he got the money because of a Sandusky settlement because of what the sister said? Or what he or what he told you about him practicing the story for three days? What he said. It was me and him alone. I wasn't pregnant yet. We were still together. We were engaged. And we were in... Which was my son's room, which was a study, and he says, well, I have all the files here. I have the check that Penn State wrote me. It's, like, for $5 million, and he tried to, like, dig it out of the files, and he couldn't find it. He's like, I know I have it in here somewhere, but he said he had a check from Penn State for $5 million, and he says, I stayed up for three days, long now, practicing this story just to make it seem real. Were those his exact words? Yes, those were his exact words. 
I know he didn't show me the text. I know that's not physical proof, but he said that to my face because I was living with him. We, me and my daughter were living with him. Okay, but uh, just to, just so you know, and 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 why <laughs> what you're saying is very credible. Uh, I happen to know how much he got. And he, it was five million. It was five million. Uh, yeah, because he told me exactly how much it was. Yeah. It, he says I have a check for five million. I can't find it right now, but I know. But when we first got together, he told me his cat passed away, and he like was some inheritance, some H and R block or something like okay. that. Okay. All right. So just so I understand. Okay. So so he tells you I got a check for five million. I had to practice the story um, to make it seem real. That, those were his yeah. words, right? Yeah. Like, he stayed up all night. Like, he was very distraught about what happened to him. But I know that's not what happened to him. I've known Josh. I've known him. And this, there's no way. There's no way. I know he's lying. And tell me why you th- you know he's lying. Because his behavior, like, you know... I mean, you know, when people say that when they're abused, they abuse, you know, the other people around him, but I don't feel like he's abusing my son, so I don't feel like he's, like, an actual, you know, a product of being abused. Well, that's not necessarily proof, though. I mean, that can be a sign, but what what about, let me ask you some other questions. Before he mentioned this about the check and practicing the story... Had he ever mentioned Jerry Sandusky to you previously? Never. Never. Never did he mention it. Um, when he called me when we got back together, he called me and he said, Hey, I just bought a house for us. And I said, Okay. And I was very skeptical because I haven't seen him in a few years. Since my daughter was, you know, for a few years. And uh, I showed up at this house and it was 109 Timberwood Drive in Lock Haven. And he says, I bought this house for us. And I'm like, what? I haven't seen you in like three years. What are you talking about? He says, no, I bought this house for us. And that's when he told me, like, I'm an inheritance of H&R Block, whatever. But then he told me it's because of him saying in the text that he got. Okay, but he had never mentioned Jerry Sandusky even casually never. in any, any conversation you ever had with him. Never, never. Do you even know whether or not he had a relationship of any kind with Jerry Sandusky? No, the only kind of relationship that I know of is when we were about broken up, probably like a couple weeks before we broken up, um, I was at his sister's house, and she was telling me, oh, he was abused by Jerry Sandusky. He used to pick Josh up from my mom's house all the time, and I'm like, well, Josh never mentioned that to me, and I'm about to have a child to him. Like, he's never said anything. I'm about to be married to him, and he said nothing to me. So it makes me very skeptical that this is even real. Like, if someone is, you know, if this trauma has happened to them, like, they would want to talk about it or something, but I never mentioned Gary, he never mentioned anything. Okay, okay, now, so how shocked were you when you were, when you were told this story? Well, I was very shocked. I'm like, uh, did it, like, did this really happen? He's like, well, it didn't happen because I, I stayed up three days prior because at the time, I didn't know, I knew he was on painkillers, so I, I didn't know, like, what kind of state he was in, but this is when we first got together and whatnot. And he says, well, I stayed up for, like, three days, like, you know, practicing this story just to make it seem real. Okay, but... And that's what I told them, and that's apparent. 
went over with them and that was it. So did he acknowledge to you that it was not real? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, he said, he said I stayed up for three days to make it seem like it was real. He, he said I was, you know, I had bags under my eyes, like I was, like, you know, completely traumatized. So, in other words, he purposely stayed up so that he would be able to be emotional or to cry or whatever. Yes, 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 very. And I completely agree with that. You completely agree with what? Yes, that he, he stayed up for three days trying to make it seem like this is totally believable. So he. And I know it's not. And I know it's not. Now, did you, did you confront him about why he was lying? No, I didn't. To be honest, no, I didn't. I was like, I, I didn't know what to say because I didn't know anything about it at the time. I knew nothing about Sandusky. I knew nothing about that. You hadn't even heard you you hadn't even heard of the you hadn't even heard of the case. No, I had no idea. I had no idea until he told me, and that was like 2014. I had no idea about it. Okay, now I have to ask you. So, this is a man who you know was lying about sex abuse to get money, and yet you stayed with him and had a child with him for quite a while. People might wonder why you would do that. Why would you do that? Because I was trying to stay with him for my son. And I was trying to make a family with him. Like, I had my daughter around him. I had a kid to him. Like, I thought I was going to be with this man forever because I did love him. Like, it didn't matter what happened to him. I still loved him because I did date him before. And he was, you know, he was still a good guy. But I knew he was lying about what happened. But there's nothing I can do because this is exactly the question that would come up. It's like, why would you stay with him? But... I was about to have a child with him. So he was he was my financial support, he was my emotional support for both of my kids. I understand. It was hard, it was, it was hard for just to like up and leave. Were were you pregnant when he told you the Penn State story? No, I wasn't. But you were soon pregnant after that. Yes. Okay. Um, now, you, you mentioned before I started recording that you had tried to contact me a year ago and decided not to. Can you tell me what happened there? Um, I tried. I just got, I mean, to be honest, I just got busy. I got a new job, and I work 40 hours a week, and I'm just concentrating on paying my bills and taking care of my children. And I got totally, you know, off track with time, and that's why. But I did try to contact you earlier. It was under a different name, but on Facebook. But I did try to contact you. And you, and you decided not to at the last second because why? Just because I just got a new job, and I just got. I mean, I work 40 hours a week, and I take care of two kids. Like I don't have time to, like, you know. I mean. Well, you had indicated to me before we started recording that you you kind of got afraid of going public, but now you've changed your mind because why? Just for my son, because he's so young. He's only about to be two. Like, I just don't, because he has lost. He has dodged his last thing, and I don't want him to get involved. That's all. I understand, and, and we're, we're going to make sure he's he's not involved. Um, this is just because my son is so young. Like, he's only about to be two, and he has Josh's last name, and that's what makes me so concerned. Because, like, when I tried to get a hold of you last time, 
was only, you know, like six months old. I thought about it, and I'm like, my son is too young to be dealing with this. Especially since his parents are already, you know, separated. You know, it's already going to be harder on him. Now, is Josh supporting you and, and, and his son? Yes. He's supporting every month. And um, $600 every month. $600 a month? Yeah, you see 800 but who, who got it down to 600 He did. How? He, he offered he offered he offered 800 when Tristan was a baby and then he's like, "Well, I think I should take it down to 600." So he went into the whatever office and he took it down to 600 because apparently they were only going to give me 300 but he offered much more than that. Well, but he's he's got $5 million from the Penn State settlement. If they can take that because he doesn't put that down. He doesn't put that down in his taxes. So according to the people that determine how much support he should give, yes. that doesn't no. count? No, no, he doesn't put that down as an income. He doesn't on anything. Do you know if he's supposed to or not? I know nothing about the rules. I don't know. I know he pays taxes, and that's all he put down is what he pays in taxes. That's it. I know. So he's so he's got millions of dollars in the bank, and he's paying you you and your son six hundred dollars a month. Yes. Does that piss you off? Well, of course it does. But I mean, I can't do anything. I mean. Okay. Now, some people might say that's why you're angry at him and why you're oh, you're no, making this story up. No, I've been living. He's been giving me six hundred dollars for the past how many months? It's not bothered me at all. So that's not why you're you're telling me this no, story. No, not at all. I he's he settled six hundred probably like six months ago. Like it's not a big deal to me at all. Like I I work forty hours a week. I have my own money. It's not a big deal. Now, um, did you ever confront him again about his his Penn State Sandusky lie? I do all the time. I'm sorry. I do all the time. What do you mean you do all the time? I tell him he's a liar. I said he lied for his money. He didn't work for it like a normal person. Now, it's important to note that Josh Culver is one of five of the 34 accusers from Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. You've probably never heard of Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. If you've never been there, congratulations, because it is a horrible, horrible place. And I've spent way too much time there. Now, there's some decent people there. And I'm very well known there now <laughs> because nobody there believes the number one accuser in this case, Aaron Fisher, who's from Lockhaven. And if you don't believe Aaron Fisher, you don't believe any of this case because he's the only accuser for two years. All right? So he's the, he's the whole damn case. The whole case is built on Aaron Fisher. And he's from Lockhaven. And I'm inundated, inundated with people who do not believe Aaron Fisher, who know him very well, have been you know, intimately involved in his life, including some of his own relatives. I think I've gotten like at least 14 people on the record close to him saying in their own names that they do not believe Aaron Fisher was abused by Jerry Sandusky. Why is this important to the story that we're telling you about Josh Culver? Well, Josh Culver is from Lockhaven. Three other major accusers are from Lockhaven. Several have a connection to 
Central Mountain High School, which makes in, in Lock Haven or just outside. Be, and that makes sense because Jerry was an assistant volunteer football coach there. I have spoken to the guy who was the football coach there, who's now the principal, who's not a, who's too afraid to speak publicly because he's close to retirement. And I am morally certain that he knows that Jerry is innocent, or at least innocent of the allegations involving the kids that he coached or was principal of the school that they were that they attended. Now, but why is that relevant? Well, those five guys from Lockhaven account for $35 million or so of the $100 million of Penn State settlements. Now, that's a big chunk of change. By the way, it's probably worth more than the entire city of Lockhaven is. I'm not exaggerating. So, so now you have, you effectively have five guys with more cash than anybody else in Lockhaven. They're, they're kind of setting up their own mafia. And not surprisingly, there's connections to all of them, direct connections. I've been told by people that they all know each other to varying degrees. It's my theory that they all knew Aaron was full of crap. The four, the four that followed Aaron knew he was full of crap, and, and therefore this was all free money. Because that's the only way you would feel comfortable doing this, right? If you didn't know Aaron was full of crap, you wouldn't know that the process was full of crap, and you wouldn't feel comfortable just going forward and saying, yeah, this happened, and here's my story. So if you were a member of Jerry's charity, this was free. That's all you had to do was know the magic words. If you can prove you're a member of the charity, and you're safe in the knowledge that Aaron's full of crap, so they go forward. Well, one of the, the other guys from Lockhaven is a guy by the name of Glenn Neff, who I know for a fact is very close to Aaron Fisher. And here is Tennille Jones talking about her knowledge of Glenn Neff. I do know Neff. How do you know Neff? Well, I know uh, when I was living with my daughter's father is DJ on uh, 1382 West Run Road. His father lived next to me, and they used to work for Lewis Tree Line. And I've known them to be <laughs> drug users, liars. And I don't believe a word Glenn says. Why would you? Junior, junior, any of them. So you, you just think it's a bad family? You would never trust it's anything. A very bad family. I used to live next to them. It's a very bad family. Okay. Now the reason I'm asking this is, it seems really odd to me that we have five major accusers, all of whom are getting over five million dollars or more. Don't you think that's a little ridiculous? Well, yeah, but that's another that's another issue. But let me just explain to you. Let me just ex, let me just explain to you why this is potentially important. So we have these five guys, all basically the same age group, all all from Lock Haven, Lenovo. Right. Um, and apparently, from what I'm being told by people in in Lock Haven, they they all know each other, or at least several of them are friends, including your ex-fiance yeah. uh, and um, it, it, who oh, who do you know that your ex-fiance might be friends with in this group well let me tell you 
um, when I dated Josh, before we had our son in like 2011, 2012, he used to sell Suboxone. And he used to sell to probably, you know, all them people. So it's hard to say. It, you know, they probably know each other from that. Okay, but you don't know for a fact that, for instance, no. Josh is no. a friend of Glenn's or Probst or or Coover or 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 could even know where Aaron Fisher is. No. Uh, okay, I don't. I don't have any facts to say that they they talk to each other. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's what I want. You, all I want you to do is tell me the truth. Yeah. So, so, and I I feel like that's what you're doing. So I appreciate it very much. Um, so, okay, because just so you know, my theory here, <laughs> I think that guys in Lock Haven, Lenovo, who knew each other, all realized how full of crap Aaron Fisher was. And, and that's, this, my, that's my problem, too. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, I think that's why. I think that's why they said this, is because they saw what Aaron got. They're like, well, <laughs> if I pretend that something happens to me, maybe I'll get the same. Right. Like, but I don't need any proof. All I need is to say something. Like, there's no proof. Right. And, and the reason, just to finish the thought, the reason why they felt comfortable doing it is that they all knew that Aaron was a fraud. And and see, if they thought Aaron was for real, they might not think they could get away with it. But but when they knew Aaron was a fraud, as, as, and frankly, uh, if you ask, easy money, easy money. Well, well, you like do. If I was a girl and, you know, if stand up he was touching girls, I'd be like, I'd be the first one to say, oh, he touched me, give me $5 million. Why would you and do I that? Why like would you do that? Because it's easy money. <laughs> okay, but. I feel like that's why they're doing that. Well, it's. So di- you can buy a lot with $5 million. Well, it's it's disappointing that you think that you would do that to a if if uh, if you thought well, you could get away with it. I understand. Okay, I just wanted to clarify what you no, know. I'm not, no, I'm just saying that's what they're thinking. They're thinking, oh, this guy, you know, he could be lying, but there's no proof, and he still got money. So why can't I lie with no proof and still get money? Now I know a lot of people are probably wondering. Okay, what what are the possible motivations that Tennille might have to tell her story. And look, you're always going to be able to find some reason for somebody to be vindictive. She's already, as you've already heard, addressed the issue of how much support she gets from Josh, but she's not contesting that. That's important to point out. She is not contesting it. And she says she doesn't even have a big problem with it. Although obviously, you know, for somebody who's rich, she'd like to get more than $600 a month, but she's not, she's not, contesting it in court, and that's not the point here. In fact, she's actually doing this against her own self-interest. She acknowledges that within the interest of her own son. She's doing it against her own self-interest. So, you know, you can decide for yourself her level of credibility. To me, it's exceedingly credible based upon everything else I know about this case. Uh, But here's how she summarized, uh, to me, why she's so sure that uh, her former fiance and the son, the father of her son, lied to Penn State about being abused by Jerry Sandusky to get $5 million. I know he's lying, and I know you're taking it at face value only because we're over the phone, but I don't think it's right. Because I know he's lying. I know for a fact he's lying. Well, I believe you, and, 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 I, and just so you know, just so this is important... 
they're all lying. And that's why... I believe that, I believe that 100%. Why? Because I think they're thinking easy money. Okay. That's all I think. That's all I think. Because I know Josh. I know he would do anything to make money. He used to tell Sebastian to make money. Like, I used to live with him. I know this. And he would lie to me all the time. Now, when you say... So it the, doesn't surprise me. The, what, when you say you're sub, s- selling Sabat, what is it? Sabatian. He used to sell Sabatian. What is, what is that? He, he was on heroin, and Sabatian is like the poor man's heroin they prescribe to oh. you when you're like a recovering heroin addict. And he would sell it out of Checker's parking lot when I lived with him. And he would meet all kinds of people over there to sell it. And he would do anything, you know, just to make money. So that's why I think, like, this doesn't make sense. Like, when he told me he was an inheritance from H&R Block, I was like, you're lying. Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, you don't have, like, somebody in your family like that. It just, it, you know, it doesn't make sense to me. But I believed it at the time because, you know, we got back together. We were in love. We were going to, you know, get engaged and have a baby and have a family and have a house. And everything was going to be okay. But I know, you know, things didn't turn out that way, but it's still not right. Even if I was with him today, it's And her last statement there really is the crux of the problem. There aren't enough people who care about whether or not this is right or wrong and have the courage to speak out. I'm completely convinced that if all these names were made public in the local communities, that there would be lots of Tennilles that would come out and come forward and tell very similar stories. But that's not the case, and it it may never be the case. I'm trying to do everything I can to facilitate that being the case, but I don't have full control over that by a long shot, and there needs to be a lot of luck involved. But, of course, the news media will always do their best to pretend that none of this is relevant because they're completely and totally invested in this fairy tale narrative. But one of the cruxes of the problem here, the many problems in this case, is that The American dream, the American dream, as sad as this is, is now to be a fake victim of an entity with a lot of money. That's the American dream, is to be able to hit the jackpot in a way where you get free money, but without ever really suffering significant damage. That's the new American dream. And very few people in this area of the country even think that that's wrong because they think that they would do the same thing if they had the opportunity. That's the world we're now living in. And one of the things that has always troubled me most about this case is, is it shows not only that reality, but that we're now living in a world where those who still care about right and wrong, who still care about the truth, are in such a minority, and even those that exist are so afraid of telling toxic truths and enduring any kind of criticism or backlash that there's no hope for that side to win. I'm as convinced of this as I am of OJ's guilt. And I've often said that the two cases are actually Remarkably similar, they're just flipped upside down. Everything 
about OJ is the inverse of the Sandusky case and vice versa, including the outcomes. So that's the truth for you, folks. And that's all I can give you. And uh, all I ever ask is that you share this with other people because that's the only way the truth, especially about this case, is ever going to get out. And please make sure you share this via social media, Twitter or Facebook or what have you. If you're interested in more information, go to our website, framingpaterno.com. Make sure you tune in next week to our podcast interview with Mark Pendergrass, the author of the, uh, the book, The Most Hated Man in America. And keep your fingers crossed. Keep your fingers crossed for me. I don't ask for prayers because I don't believe, unfortunately, in the power of prayer. But, but if you, if you want to keep your fingers crossed, there could theoretically be some good things happening in the very short future about this. And um, I could use all the goodwill that you can muster. So share this via social media and, um, and do yourself a favor. If uh, you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep, by the way, if you, if you sleep well, you're probably not a Sandusky accuser, right? <laughs> because I'm hoping at the very least these 40, 34 guys don't sleep very well. But if you're one of those people who sleeps and when you, you, you sleep, you use sheets, do yourself a favor and listen to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.